On your mark, get set. We're riding on the internet, cyberspace, set free. Hello, virtual reality. Interactive appetite, searching for a website, a window to the world, got to get online. Take a spin, now you're in with the techno set. You're going surfing on the internet. Hello and welcome to Thingamajigs, the exciting history of mundane things. I am your co-host, Danielle. And I am Ben. And yes, that's right. Today we are going to be talking about the history of the internet. Since Danielle didn't want to do an episode while we were driving for 27 hours, I decided to go ahead and write one of my own, which we still didn't end up recording. Um, so, Because I was right, and we were driving for 27 hours. Actually, it was 30 hours, because you know you can't drive it straight. I'm not going to say you were right, but you weren't entirely wrong. That means I'm right. If you're not wrong, you're right. Our internet that we usually use while we were driving was down, so I couldn't get all the details. Also, we didn't really want to take an extra hour to stop somewhere in the middle of the desert and record. Yeah, I wanted to get here as soon as possible. Such a long drive. I wanted to make it not long. We drove 12 hours one day and 18 hours the second day. It's pretty good. I just need to mention that we are recording from the floor of a friend's parent's closet. It's a very good closet. It's got really good acoustics. I am surrounded by shirts and shoes that are unfamiliar to me. And very good at dampening the sound. So let's talk about the internet. Actually, the word internet today has become kind of a generic term for a large computer network, but when computer networks first began emerging, the internet was just one of several competing networks. It wasn't certain that it would really take off. So by talking about the actual internet, we'd be kind of getting ahead of ourselves. We're going to take it way back. Ancient Egypt. They had tablets, which they did have tablets. They just weren't, you know, electronic tablets. And they used tablets to write messages to each other by chucking them through the window. <laughs> Not actually ancient Egypt, just, just a little back, just a little bit. The first internet twinkle in the eye of humanity goes all the way back to 1957 when Russia launched the Sputnik satellite. This ignited the wild chain of events that would become the space race. It's good to see Russia doing something for the first time. Usually it's China. Yeah, we're not even going back to ancient China. We're really getting really getting into the future here. Now, basically, the Sputnik was just a radio transmitter that orbited the Earth until its battery died three weeks later. We were all very terrified. Yes. We thought, it was, we, thought we were all going to die. The Russians putting stuff in space. You never know what it could be. Crazy giant space lasers. But you know what will save you? Getting under your desk The Space school. Force. <laughs> the Space Force. <laughs> Now, since you like asking me crazy questions when you host, I figured I'd give you one at the top of the show. What year do you think the concept of this radio satellite was first conceived? 1905. 1905, is that your final answer? Yes. You were off by 20 years. Konstantin Tchaikovsky was a Russian rocket scientist who essentially described the Sputnik satellite in his writings in 1885. I almost went to the 1800s, but I was thinking, I knew it had to be before World War I. And I was like, okay, World War I, 1914, 
I feel like it's going to be some time before then, but I guess I was still a little off. What was it, what year was it again? 1885. Okay, so after the Civil War, but before World War One. I. I didn't even know we had rocket scientists back then. <laughs> anyway, like we said, the U.S., of course, we were all very threatened by the Sputnik satellite. The, the government knew the implications of having a radio transmitter in space. You could control a global communication network that your enemies couldn't just snip the wires for and cripple your whole country. Thus, ARPA, the Advanced Research Projects Agency, was born. Isn't the largest radio telescope in China? There's a giant dishy in China. I learned this from not Mike Tyson. <laughs> this is his name. He's that brilliant. It's Mike Tyson. He's the brilliant black man who knows everything, and he's a he's a physicist. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah. (laughs) His brother, Mike Tyson's brother, Neil deGrasse Tyson. So obviously, ARPA never followed through with their initial plan. That's why your internet goes through magic tubes and not through space, unless you use Starlink. We go through space. We do. Our internet is in space. This podcast is coming to you live from space. That's why whenever you get upset about something not going fast enough, I tell you, hold on. It's got to go to space. I think it's less impressive when it goes through space instead of over wires. Yeah, but it sounds more impressive. It's got to go to space. My podcast had to go through thousands of computers and through a tube under the ocean just to get to you. That's way cooler. Anyway, the broader U.S. governing bodies still trying to catch up to the Russians at every step turned their attention to sending living beings into space and mostly forgot about ARPA's project, but ARPA continued working on the global communications network idea. The moon! Yes. (laughs) In 1969. Do you know this song? That's not a song. You're yeah, it's a, it's, a little, it's, a little, it's a little ditty to help you remember when we went to the moon. Right, right. In 1969, Columbus sailed to the moon. No, that that's 1492. This is why I'm better at dates than you are. Columbus sailed from the marble blue. <laughs> so they kept, they kept working on their uh, global network, but they just didn't have access to satellites. And in 1969, ARPANET was created. It was the first computer network that actually behaved like the modern internet. By the way, the behavior of the internet at its core is actually pretty simple. And for those who don't know, I will try to simply and concisely explain it, although it probably won't be that simple or concise. So just fast forward or tune it out. Just go off on a little mind adventure. The sound of my soothing voice. This has turned into an ASMR podcast. Thank you for listening to Thingamajigs ASMR. So every time you open a website or app, your phone or computer or smart toaster or whatever basically writes a little letter. (laughs) Smart toaster. Some kids probably still pass around notes in class, so if you know how that works, you basically know how the internet works. You write who the note is for, who it's from, and what you want to say. And you pass it to the nearest person and hope it gets to the person you want. The person no one reads it before it gets there. Right, yeah, and hope that no one, which is how hacking works, basically. Just grab that note and read what it says and then pass it along. The person who grabs the note first sees who it's for, passes it to someone closer to that person until they get it. The only difference is that computers don't have names. They have a 
long, unique number called an IP address. So your computer would write an IP address instead of names on the notes, and they would pass it to the nearest computer, who would pass it to a computer closer to the computer or server that the message is intended for. And it would probably ask for a web page or a picture instead of a date or whatever. We need to change that. It needs to be names. I want to name my computer. You can name your computer, but it's mostly for work groups, which don't exist anymore. Well, they do exist, but nobody uses them. So that's pretty much how the internet works. Whether it's a note in class or an HTTP request, either way, you're probably getting a dick pic as a response. Mm. And that was also how ARPANET worked. But since not everyone can just sign up and use experimental government projects, it was initially released to four universities to be used by engineers and nerds to communicate nerd data and study the capabilities of the network. Nerd data. The most exciting activity was called electronic mail, or e-mail for short. Ooh. You could actually send messages to other people digitally. Amazing. It's very cool. Remember, so I used Yahoo, and there was this place that you could go and find Yahoo cards. They're like greeting cards, but they're email. Oh, yeah. I enjoyed that a lot. I sent so many of those. My first email account was just filled with forwards from my parents. What? Yeah, did you not get any forwards? I mean, I got forwards, but not from my parents. Oh, my parents sent me so many forwards, like, that one about walking in the sand with Jesus. There's one set of footprints. Uh, right, right, right. Kind of and then there's that like old a line people send back and forth. He was dragging you or something. Yeah, something like that. No, I didn't, my parents are much older than your parents, so no, I did not get. I don't. My dad has never had an email account. Wow, how do you exist without an email account? Uh, well, my mom has one, so she takes care of everything. Eventually, more giant nerds at more universities across the world wanted a piece of this network and requested access, and by 1973, there were over 30 locations added to ARPANET, which included the UK and even Norway. It's worth noting that the French were working on their own network protocol called Cycled. You know it's French because it uh, sounds pretty. Yeah. Cycled. That had a lot of improvements to speed, security, and reliability. We stole their ideas to make ARPANET better, so thank you. In the late 1980s, ARPANET was hot. It was expanding rapidly, and I think ARPA realized they couldn't handle how big this thing was getting, so they started having conferences with phone companies and computer companies, and they were like, so here's this thing we made, here's how it works. If you guys want to start incorporating this into your computers and communication networks, that'll be awesome. Please don't let us be responsible for it anymore. And so as time went on, the computer companies started building in functionality for the networking protocols. And not only did this mean you didn't have to have a refrigerator-sized computer in every building that you wanted to have network access, it also meant that private companies could take over the networking infrastructure and sell access to anyone they wanted. In 1990, now that the burden of the internet was tied to the shoes of private companies standing at the end of a long pier, ARPANET officially shut down. Of course, since the internet was a brand new thing for the public, we didn't exactly know what to do with it. There was a lot of command line based activities like bulletin boards, which were kind of like forum sites. There were also text based games, even online multiplayer games, which were called MUDs or multi user dungeons, and are considered to have paved the way for modern MMORPGs. That's a funny name. <laughs> MUDs. 
famously RuneScape, which I've mentioned a couple of times on the show before. Oh my gosh, RuneScape. Great game. It's still a popular MMORPG today, which, by the way, stands for Massively Multiplayer Online Role-Playing Game. We play that every night. Okay. Massive multiplayer? How many people are you having over? (laughs) Anyway, RuneScape was born from the dream of a mud where a user could see the things that were happening instead of reading about them. Because everything at this time, it was all text. There were no images or buttons. You type something in, it puts a bunch of words on the screen, and you have to imagine the rest. We were determined to ruin America's imagination. (laughs) We always are. Hey, little boy, would you like me to put the cool gold rim around your armor? Proceeds to walk away with armor. Precisely. That's the gist of RuneScape as a whole. So if that that sounds good to you, you should play RuneScape. (laughs) Don't steal people's armor. You don't know. That could be a little kid, and that took him hours to get, and they have no concept of bad people. Somebody's going to steal your armor, but at least you can buy a girlfriend for 20,000 GP. They had to click so many rocks. Now, around this time, there was a legendary person at CERN named Tim Berners-Lee, who was working on a project of his own. He had created a programming language called HTML, or Hypertext Markup Language. I know some people will cringe at me calling it a programming language, but I I don't know what else to call it. It's basically a programming language. It was designed as a way of creating visual means of interacting with the internet, and it's still the language used to make websites today. But it has changed a lot over the years. As has RuneScape. No. (laughs) RuneScape stopped changing in 2007, and we're all very glad about it. Okay, as has Minecraft. There you go. He also had to create a program that would interpret the language and turn it into a pretty web page. So he created the very first web browser. If you don't know the terminology, a web browser is what you use to access the internet, like Google Chrome or Safari or whatever you use, Mm -mm, Firefox. The only one is Google Chrome. Agreed. (laughs) That'll make a lot of people mad, though. Oh, will it? Oh, yeah. There's there's a lot of Firefox fanboys. Really? Yeah. Should I say the only one that exists is uh, Internet Explorer? That won't make anybody mad. (laughs) Netscape Navigator. The best web browser. So yeah, this guy basically pioneered the creation of the internet as we know it today. Yes, Tim Burton. Tim Berners-Lee. Tim, Tim, I love Tim Burton. Tim Berners-Lee. I didn't know that he did more than movies, though. He was a great director, and he made the internet stuff. You can call him Tim BL, if you like. Of course, he also had to create the first website ever. He hosted it from his computer using the CERN web address, and it is still online to this day, hosted on a CERN web server. What was the first website ever? It had a little directory page, like, what is this? What am I looking at? How do I use it? He had to, like, explain... The first web page was a tutorial? Yeah, <laughs> because nobody had ever used the internet like this before. He had to explain what the the blue links were for and, and why they're there. And uh, obviously nobody knew HTML yet, so he had some resources for the specifications for HTML and how to build a website and host it on a server and all that stuff. So it was was very informative. Also had credits for the uh, people who worked on getting the project up and running. 
And fun fact, Tim Berners-Lee wrote the source code for the web browser and hosted the first website on a Next computer, which was the computer company that Steve Jobs created while he was kicked out of Apple in the 80s. The original source code is still on Tim's computer, but is now on display in a museum, and no one can access it because his computer is considered a historical artifact. The full source code was at one point published into the public domain, though, so the final version of it is available. What a baller move to have your computer displayed as a historical artifact. Could you imagine? I can only hope that I will have the same privilege someday. That's the kind of that's the kind of mover I want to be. That tells me that you need to be careful which computer you use because whatever you do your amazing thing on is going to be displayed. So, do you want This is Ben's computer. It's a Palm Pilot. People will judge you harshly on which computer that you used and is currently displayed. One sunny day, Paul Kuntz from Stanford visited Tim Berners-Lee and saw this awesome thing he was working on and became the second person to make a website. It's also still available, at least partially, on Stanford's website. Naturally, being able to actually see things and click links and scroll around and actually explore the internet made it way more interesting and popular. So, in 1991, we have three total websites, two from Tim Berners-Lee at CERN and one from Paul Kuntz at Stanford. The next year, in 1992, we have 60 websites. It's mostly still universities, but also some hobbyist and personal websites are popping up. The next year, in 1993, we have over 600 websites. So things are growing super exponentially. These websites include some of the first commercial, industrial, and mainstream websites. Respectively, you had Bloomberg, Electric Companies, and even the Internet Movie Database, or IMDb. IMDb. As we know it today. I'm, I'm very familiar with that. I use that one a lot. <laughs> Me too. I love IMDb. Except Amazon bought it, apparently. Oh, really? Yeah. Now, anytime you're like, where can I watch this movie? And they're like, oh, only available on Amazon Prime. Better get Amazon Prime. Hmm. Yeah, it's really annoying. We also got NASA's iconic website that year, and the first search engine, and Wired Magazine. NASA hasn't updated their stuff in a long time. Have you pulled up some some old NASA web pages? I have. I have for this podcast pulled up some old NASA web pages, and they are beautiful in their own way. They are covered in comic songs. It's like unearthing a fossil, truly. <laughs> Which I love, I love their approach to it because they they do have a modern website and modern pages, but they never went back and like updated any of the old pages. It's not all universal styling. So, as you go back to the older writings on their website, the web page looks older and older. It's really cool. And then the next year in 1994, we have about 3,000 websites, and sometime after 1995, I think we pretty much just lost track. No, we stopped counting? Why'd we stop counting? Yeah, now now you can only find estimates, and it's massive. In particular, news publications scrambled to get on the World Wide Web. They'd been spending all of their money printing and distributing newspapers and magazines for hundreds of years, and now they can just slap it on a computer, and customers have instant access to everything. And they were like, yes, we can now save the trees. Yes, they're saving the trees. You know who's not? The government! That's true. We've gotten so many letters. Healthcare letters, IRS letters. Court summons. 
parking tickets, blackmail, death threats, you know how it goes. News publications love the internet. They could update their stories all day and their stock market values in nearly real time. Speaking of the stock market, investors were also very quick to see potential in the internet. It wasn't perfectly understood yet, but they just knew there was a gold mine in there somewhere. As we know, a lot of investors throwing a lot of money at things they don't understand is awesome and never goes wrong. This is what would eventually be known as the dot-com bubble. People realized they could sell things on the internet, and interest rates were very low at the time. So you had a ton of websites popping up, making quick cash. From 1995 to 2000, the stock market in this category rose 800%. Even little bookstores like littleamazon.com rose up as high as 470 per share. Ugh. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? The last time I saw, they were at around $125 per share. Comeback story for the ages. Why didn't our parents buy up a bunch of Amazon stock? Because it was probably a bad idea. The issue was that most of the websites on the internet, they were just made for quick cash grabs, and they didn't have any long-term business plans. So after a few years, these companies had spent all of their venture capital dollars, and the dot-com bubble burst. Some of these companies kept their success, of course. Slowly over time, the internet recovered. We still have eBay and Amazon. There have also been so many innovations in the technology on which the internet is built. We have highly interactive websites and web apps, and we can steal people's personal information more efficiently than ever. I know of someone who wanted some very difficult-to-find anime DVDs. They asked their mom, they were like, Mom, I want this thing, and you can only buy it off of this really weird website. Will you put in your information and buy it for me? And as far as I know, it never went terribly for them, but... Did they get their DVDs? They did. Wow. They did. But I was amazed that their mom was so willing to put in her credit card information and buy it, and then it came in. My parents never, ever let me use their credit card for anything on the internet, ever. They also are the reason that we're not rich, because somebody was mining Bitcoin before it was cool, and we would have so much money. Yeah. My ma said, stop that. That's some kind of scam. You leave that Bitcoin alone. I was like, well, your house, your rules, I reckon. So I shut that operation down. If I had to give a PSA for this episode, it's that the internet's a scary place. <laughs> the internet can be a scary place. You know, I like to think of it as like the streets of New York City. There's there's your main roads where you can go and have fun and meet interesting people and do interesting things. And there's also some dark alleys where you should probably not go around telling people who you are and where you're from and how much money you have and where you live and your mother's maiden name and... Your childhood pet. Your credit card number. Your favorite kindergarten teacher. The street you grew up on. Where your father was born. All those good things. But if you want to write all those down in an email and send it our way, we're doing a special giveaway, free iPad for the lucky winner. You will receive your iPad, but you will be paying for it and then we'll take the rest of your money. It'll be well worth the cost of a used iPad for us. I think everybody has done this, right? You 
are young and you go on the inter interwebs and you put in www.danielle.com and see what comes up. So mine was a perfume webpage. What was yours, Ben? I don't know. I think it didn't go anywhere whenever I was a kid and I tried it. Let's try benjamin.com. So currently we got a real estate website. It's not very fun. Let's try Ben. Oh, wait, this is awesome. What is this? Welcome to my webpage. It is not a blog, but it does consist of many pages created over a long span of time. The difference is that each of my entries is a snapshot of the web design I felt like doing at that moment. You get to read about my projects, but at the same time, you are treated to a museum of ancient web design. I'm going to revisit this website. It looks awesome. Everybody go check out Ben.com. Tell Ben at Ben.com how awesome he is. It's not me, I promise. There's another PSA for you. Don't let your kids use the internet just at all. It's not good. Not a good place for kids. They have YouTube kids. YouTube kids is the worst place for kids. Have you seen the kind of stuff they upload to YouTube kids? The place is messed yeah, up. Yeah, it's just some little boy named Jake opening toys. This video was sponsored by Target. Go to Target and spend all your parents' money and scream and punch them in the dick if they don't buy it for you. Hey now. Here's a video of Elsa banging Spider-Man. YouTube kids. Anyway, that's gonna do it for this episode of Thingamajigs, the exciting history of mundane things. I'm Danielle. And I'm Ben. I think we already did this. We did. Don't forget to grab a goose and congratulations you're the one millionth listener to this podcast click here for your free ipad you know what when we do have a million listeners we'll send an ipad absolutely absolutely we will don't forget to tell your friends for that chance at winning a free ipad thanks for listening i put my head up on your hip and you did 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 i put my head up on your hip and you did 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 i put my head up on your hip and you did 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 i put my head up on your hip and you did 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 i put my head up on your hip and you did 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 i put my head up on your hip and you did 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 i put my head up on your hip and you did did did